you have been trailing this story for well over a month now. So Are we not going to do a hello? I think we just get straight into it. <laughs> not even acknowledge <laughs> Chow, Chow, what Chow this is. me about two months ago now, maybe? No, it was, it was only a month. Okay, a month ago being like, I have a great story to tell you, but it needs to be live on no tags. I'm yeah. saving it for an intro. Yeah. Uh, and then we've had to push back a couple of record dates for stuff. So I am, my loins are girded. On tenterhooks, I'm on tenterhooks. What on earth is a tenterhook, one wonders. Sorry, I went off mic there. Right. In order for this to work, I need to basically do a sort of ta-da moment on my laptop to show you. But shout out, first of all, to, in fact, our very first subscriber. Do you know who our very first subscriber was? Was it Megan? It was Megan. Oh, legend. Legend in the game. <laughs> the legend that is Megan Up Townsend. Megan, I bet I bet people call her Megan Mixmag, you know, in a kind of cool because yeah, sure. all the people who work at Mixmag tend to add it to their name at some point, don't I they? Guess so, yeah. In, yeah, they're quite tribal like that. Basically, I found um, a Mixmag cover from you know the glory days, really, of of clubbing, and I immediately put her on the case to go and dig it out of their archives, and she went and found it. Now, Tom, maybe what what we should do is perhaps you could just describe, just say what you see. <laughs> oh my god okay have you ever seen it before i have seen this before have you okay yeah talk talk the people I, through it and then i've I got scans I've... of the whole thing okay so i've not seen this is an actual image of the magazine i think i have seen like a digital scan of this in a group chat before um it's from june 2000 yeah that's what i was just thinking for june 2000 what have, got, what have we got what can we see here um so it's free. What sort of style would you say this is of drawing? I believe it's called v vectorized, vectorized illustrations. Okay. It's basically like if you remember what the Head Candy album covers yeah, were yeah, like. Yeah, exact same style. Um, it is free. In the words of Mix Mag magazine, not my words, it is free random birds. Uh, what I'm guessing is like they're either entering or exiting a nightclub. Well, no, they must be entering because one of them's got a bottle of champagne in their hand. One of them's also got a credit card, which nice. I suppose you assume is like fraudulent. Has one of them got no trousers on? Oh, no, sorry, it's just very pink No, she's jeans. just... Oh, she yeah. No, but she's... she's oh, yeah, that one. But she's holding a boot. No, no what's she holding? No, she's holding a phone. Oh, it's her phone, sorry. They were okay. very big then. Yeah, I'm, I'm having to <laughs> zoom in here quite a bit. Um, yeah, the lead story is enter the blagalicious world of random birds. A moment for blagalicious. Blagalicious. Well. <laughs> that's re that's real two thousand. And then we've got. I think we should also just comment on what else is on the cover of Mix Mag. What in is in the other? Because I've just June two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, which which I think everyone can agree in hindsight wasn't in any way like the peak of dance music, but it did have its very special own flavour, which perhaps hasn't been swept up in the current Y two K revival. Yeah, surprisingly no, that's or not, true. And I would say Mix Mag, to be fair, probably this is probably quite tame compared to what was some on covers of some other publications what this we era. So we've got the blagalicious world of random birds. Um, no more info than that. We've then got Bo presenter Richard Blackwood's Jiggy Club Crawl. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, followed by Super Large. Wait, hang on, hang on. People might not even remember, so we might have to... I barely remember Richard, who Richard Blackwood was. Richard I mean, Blackwood I do, but... was an MTV presenter who also had a, uh, a hit. Oh, we love you, RB. Yeah. Check it every, every day, day on, on MTV. MTV. What a man, baby. You the man. <laughs> and then he moved to... He presented like a Channel 4 chat show or game show, maybe? Yeah, possibly. He was definitely like a real relic of this era. Yeah. I mean, when did anyone last hear from Richard Blackwood? Um. I'm sure he's popped... He must have popped up on like celebrity... Not Big Brother, but like, you know, yeah, something funny. lower He's down. He's not done any of the sort of like celebrity, celebrity recycling shows that I've noticed. Mm. He must have, surely. 
not dead, is he? No, I don't think so. No. Okay. If he is, R.O.P. Um, Who else we got? We've got, sorry, an article titled Super Large. <laughs> Barry White shows us his big love. <laughs> what? What does that relate to in terms of things that were happening in dance music at yeah, the time? Yeah, why was Barry was Barry White like <laughs> was sampled there, um, on a big record at that point or like Was there like a in my mind I've got a sort of dance remix of um first you are my last everything. everything. I think Is there that was. I think there was. Um we've got uh this this one's pretty pretty serious stuff uh prisoner cell block E. Phenomenal title. How you could lose the drug law lottery. <laughs> Then plus uh, Zed Bias, Jeremy Healy, Strawberry Sunday, Vanilla Ice, Sonique, and Mobile Ringtones. <laughs> uh, you know when you see. Hang on, f- hang on. Also, two more details. Three more details. At the top, Free CD, Global House by Roger Sanchez, Sick. the Ibiza Plus, Iron Apple, Full Listings, and Club News. And then tiny letters at the bottom, just a little website, www bigtunes.co.uk Nice, nice, I know it well. Doesn't Roger Sanchez sort of deserve a bigger font than Richard Blackwood in this context? That feels a little bit out of whack. I think he does have a bigger font. Technically, right, but Blackwood is where your eyes are drawn to. I also, you know when you sometimes see a festival lineup and you're like, so-and-so's agents played that well, getting them above them. Zed Bias over Vanilla Ice in the uh, listings is impressive stuff. Um, So, because it's... The year 2000, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I can't wait for these guys. I think, I think, two, four, six, I can't wait. It's either, it's either a six or eight page spread about random birds. Uh, I'm, there's so much of it that we actually, we'd have to give it its own episode. So we can't really do all of it. Maybe, maybe we'll drip feed it. (laughs) The random birds episode. It's all, it's, it's just mind boggling really. So here you go. Here's your first spread. And it says, Title oh and there's a picture God. of three three ladies, three say. women, and it says, "Random birds." Who do, Who do they, they think they, they are? are? <laughs> <laughs> then what? Oh my God! Enter the blagalicious, shagalicious world of random birds. DJs are the new pop stars, and random clubbers are their groupies. From spotter boys to stalker girls. Ah, so, so now semi-progressive. So suddenly you realise. Oh, hang on a minute. So what someone's actually pitched here is a sort of silly feature about like. You know, those fucking randoms who just turn yeah. up and they're just like hanging around. Like, Well, that's what gr- Jockey Slut was a reference to, right? Like everyone's like, oh, it's a... I mean, I'm not saying Jockey Slut has aged well as a term, but that's what they <laughs> meant, right? It was like boys that would try and hang around DJs. Exactly, exactly. But apparently by the time it made, to, made it to the cover, they'd boiled it down to random, random birds. birds. Anyway, so you go inside. I, I just would love to read all of it to you, but I can't. So I'm going to say that there are, in the style of... Um, sort of 90s, noughties, mags. There's six pages, but it's all like bite-sized bits. Right, right? okay. So you've got... Should we just have like the, the actual scans be paid tier only? Ooh. Maybe that's the way to go. I think that might be illegal, actually, copyright-wise. So you've got your Confessions of a Random Bird, Michelle's 23-year-old media graduate from Manchester. Uh, Confessions of a Random Bloke, Lee is 22 and lives in Hitch in Hertfordshire. We could get into those later potentially. This, this Actually, so he was very good, of, so we should come back to Lee. This is so much of like journalism then though, right? Like high street honeys and stuff like that. Mm. Like half of like Lad Mags was just like, here's a random pops. bird. Like, <laughs> Let's ask more, her when she lost her virginity. There were more, um, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess like stuff like TikTok is full of Vox Pops ultimately, but the yeah. Vox Pop was a real fundamental like... 
what do you what do you call it in a mag when there's a column that's on the side or a pop out box or whever? I didn't really work like in a magazine. Like a sidebar? So I don't know. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, this is pure sidebar. There's no main feature really. At the beginning, for the bottom two pages, you've got this, and you can swipe along the other. Oh. Random birds through the ages. Surely you can't call Anne Boleyn a random bird. <laughs> I think they just fucking did. Anne Boleyn, classic example of a just a classic random, random, probably one of the least random, random Tudors. Yeah. Let, full stop. Let alone Tudor birds. Just for the record, um, we start off in 25 AD with Mary Magdalene, top <laughs> random bird, um, straight through to Maid Marian. I'm sorry, but. Mary Mike, the original hanger the ori- on. The, the original bird in many ways, right? <laughs> uh, Anne Boleyn, Nell Gwyn, the Ugly Sisters. How do we get to the next uh, page? That way. Oh, that way. Gets- Sorry, Minnie Mouse is not a random bird. Like, how can Minnie be a rant? She's the most... Re- Recognise her. And also a mouse. <laughs> Orville. Okay, okay. Orville is a random bird, I guess. <laughs> De- Debbie McGee. <laughs> Monica Lewinsky. The Monica Lewinsky. Oh my god. So each each of these random birds has got a little description, but it just gets more and more out there where it's like if what's the bottom bit? It's like if it was if Right, the they Monica were Lewinsky, bird, word oh. for word. Monica Lewinsky, nineteen ninety eight, the queen of random birds. DJs everywhere dream of a little cigar action with a big haired secretary. But despite oh, this is awful, but despite her fame and fortune, she's still the same old dumpy Monica. Mate, if year. she if she were a bird, she'd be a great tit. In fact, she's at the top of the tree. Year two thousand was a very different time. I'm just going to say the year two in the year two thousand. I, I tend to be slightly vague about how old I am for obvious reasons, but uh, I was thirteen or I turned thirteen. Yeah, um, that was the vibe. No, like, it was. That 100%. was heavily. Like we have it, uh, it is better now. Like, like this just didn't even touch the sides. I was like, yeah, ha, was ha, so ha, common. ha. But the whole time, High Street Honeys was just like the sort of thing that like everyone in the class was like, oh yeah, she's fit, she's. I was ugly. explaining. Ha. I was explaining like nuts and zoo to a friend of mine recently who was Italian and she, was Italian. She still is Italian, and she was just like, what the hell were these magazines? Just googling them, and she was like, what like teenage boys were just reading this like on the bus? It's yeah. just pornography, and I was yeah. like. Yeah, that was that was the vibe. But I mean, presumably at that point, Mix Mag was broadly a male uh, audience. I mean, they Surely. often put women on the cover and everything. But it is well, they put some random birds on the woman. cover. Yeah, and it's like they've interviewed. Um, a, Do you reckon it was girl. written by a woman? No, no, Do you the, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't think okay. so. Last, last thing. I just think we should hear from the random bloke. Please. So Lee, Lee is 22, so that makes him 46 now, Lee's doesn't it? Lee's such a so classic random Lee, bloke name as well. If you're out there, Lee, we'd love to hear from you. He says, quote, I'm not ashamed to be a random bloke. If you don't ask, you don't get. And as long as you don't grovel and you're nice, I find you can do things and get into places other people can't. It's fun. I was packing parachutes for the military before I decided to go to Ibiza last year. I'd been doing some DJing on the side and thought I'd try my luck over there. At first, it was a nightmare. I was DJing in a bar in San Antonio Bay for 11-hour stretches. It was a shit bar and I didn't last long. Then I met one of the manumission workers and ended up painting Privilege before it opened. My first randomness happened around that time. I saw Mike and Claire manumission in a bar. They're called, you know, they're like Claire manumission. Right, you know, okay. That's like her yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Manumission is a club. Yeah, yeah, it's a club in Ibiza. Yeah. 
or was. Weird name for a club when you think about it. I saw yeah. Mike and Claire Manumission in a bar, walked over and said, I've always wanted to meet you. Claire Manumission gave me a kiss and I had to sit down. After that, I started working for them. I discovered a little bit of blagging went a long way. I told the doorman of S Paradise I was a photographer for Leap magazine and used to get in free all the time. He used to ask me where my camera was and I'd say I'd left it in my room. He never seemed to mind. I met quite a few DJs too. Dave Pierce, who was really quiet, and Brandon Block. I just marched up to him in space and he bought me a drink. I had my picture taken with Boy George and Manumission. He tried to grab my bollocks. Still, <laughs> I suppose I was asking for it, dressed as a choir boy. I also met Ooh. Sister Bliss and and Suv. Is it Suv? I've never thought about how to pronounce this. I the percussionist from Faithless. I guess Suv, yeah. And they said they'd put me on the guest list for the big MTV festival. They didn't, but I still managed to blag it in there and I got into the VIP room too. Sister Bliss was like, oh, sorry, but it didn't matter. I was in there, wasn't I? <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> Imagine it's, her being like, oh God, he's, yeah. he's made it in. Lee? Lee. Um, sorry, go on. Two more bits. Please. My most random behaviour was when Kevin and Perry Go Large was being filmed in Amnesia. I was an extra and in between takes, everyone had to go and stand outside, except me. I'd made friends with Kathy Burke and we sat there eating cake and smoking fags while all my mates were outside shouting, stop being so random. My, this was also peak time for like just random pe- as like a dis- pe- just a, a description that meant nothing. Completely. Let's yeah. just like, oh, random. And yeah, anyway. And Lady Sovereign ruined it. He, he concludes, my DJ name is Random Lee now. Sick. Though I'm trying to go cold turkey. If I see a DJ or celebrity in a club, I still break into a sweat, but I count to ten and the feeling passes. I saw Sean Maguire at Clockwork Orange, but I didn't go over and say hello, so I'm getting better. I'll still try and blag my way on any guest list that are going, but wouldn't you? So he's, he's gone cold turkey from being random. He's shut that down now. Yeah, nice. And that man <laughs> turned out to be randomer, the uh, <laughs> Berlin-based techno DJ. Anyway, God, what a, a, time. A, a taster of the year 2000 for you. But you know I... what, right? You'll see, like, yeah. like you say, you'll, you'll see Dazed or whatever do like a Y2K fashion special. Like, it's back. And yeah, it's they like, talk about that, don't you they? don't talk about Brandon Block storming. Was it was it the Brit Awards where Brandon Block yes. like, stormed the stage? What did he do? I don't know. It's, it's a really random, it's, it's a really random pairing of people, isn't it? It's Ronnie Wood and someone else collecting an award. And, um, yeah, Brandon Block just like pissed as a fart, storms the stage, and I think just gets manhandled off. We'll need to we'll need to get into this in another episode because I can't remember offhand, but it's a great clip. Right, who who is our guest this week, please, Tom? Our guest this week is not a random bird. It's a unrandom. Is unrandom a word? Mm. Bloke of note. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> bloke. Ah, <laughs> uh, a bloke of note called Gavin Douglas. Um. Now, if Gavin isn't familiar with you as listening to this podcast, that makes a lot of sense. Um, he's very much a behind-the-scenes operator. Um, he's only ever given one interview, I believe, before. So kind of the exact person we, we're keen we to We love a behind-the-scenes operator. We love a savvy behind-the-scenes <laughs> operator. Um, so, yeah, Gavin is, uh, Gavin is someone who came of age. Came of age? Came of age? Can you say came of age? You can. Came of age as a DJ. In Birmingham in the 90s, he was a pirate radio DJ, uh, DJing Jungle and then R&B. He was then part of the um, inaugural roster of BBC One Extra, which is the black music-focused arm of the BBC that was launched in 2002. 
and he held down under the name G Child, which is his DJ name. Then he held down the station's kind of go-to flagship R&B show for eight years. But that's kind of only the first part of his story, maybe not even the most significant part of his story. Um, after he was let go by the BBC, he retrained, kind of rebranded himself as a as a radio mentor and um, has basically worked with like the cream of the crop when it comes to contemporary black British or predominantly black British radio hosts. He's worked closely as a mentor with people like Jam Supernova, Snoochie Shy, Reese Parkinson, Jeremiah Asiyama, Tash LC, JK and Bemper, Cass Kid, ton of others that I'm forgetting. But essentially, if, you, if you've had your site kind of ear to the pulse of, of uh, black British radio in the UK in the last 10 years, then you've definitely felt Gavin's presence. Um, so yeah, he's a super interesting guy, has impacted a lot of careers, impacted a lot of people. And I think it's fair to say that the... Um, the kind of uh, UK radio landscape of the last 15 years would feel very different without him. So we talk through his career. We get into some sort of big picture stuff about the future of radio, radio as a format, playlists, are they valid? Should they exist? Are they fair? Um, and also actually get into some really interesting stuff about the Birmingham pirate radio scene in the 80s and 90s, which both me and Chow were completely ignorant of, but he really schooled us and gave us a kind of potted history of pirate radio in Birmingham in that period and, and especially how it actually tied in with kind of black politics and, and black activism as well in that period so yeah loads of really interesting stuff to get your teeth into great summary no yeah. notes no notes <laughs> five popcorns uh let's patch in gavin Thank you to SRP Studios in Soho in London for letting us record here and thanks to Jen Walton for our theme music Tell us, tell us a little bit about your your youth growing up in Birmingham. Um, we we were thinking we wanted to know what was the what was the teenage Gavin like? What were you up to? Teenage Gavin, um, I'll be honest, like the teenage Gavin was nothing like the adult Gavin that became <laughs> this person that ended up inspiring more or less a generation of of radio presenters and DJs, producers, etc. Um, because that. That just wasn't the path that I was on when I was younger. I was I was very troublesome. Um, I'd never, I, I could never really focus on things too much, schoolwork and things like that. It was more so like whatever was fun, that wasn't work, if that makes sense. Like a very rebellious that way. Um, and yeah, I didn't do well at school. Um, it was something that I never liked, something that I could never really engage in. I think, in fact, no, not that I never, like, I think for the first two or three years, I was okay. And then for the last three or two years, I was really bad and I was really kind of like always getting into trouble and just just disassociated myself with school and just didn't want to know. Um, but then when I'd left school, started doing engineering for the sake of it, literally for the sake of it. I went to college and done an engineering course, um, literally because my mum was saying to me, like, look, you can't lie down in bed all day. Like, I don't know something, do you know what I mean? And when I left school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I started to get into DJing. And I remember I bought a pair of decks from one of my friends. And then I then started to become obsessed with learning how to mix. And that's where the music career started really where I was like okay um how do I learn to mix 
because it wasn't like you could just go like you see how it is now where there's like I think it's a lot easier to learn to mix because there's a lot of people that will show you and it's a lot easier to kind of get into where back then it weren't do you know what I mean like there was loads of DJs that I was growing up around where I was kind of like yeah I'll just go to his house and they'll just show me I can use their decks or whatever so anyway what I used to do because <clears throat> I learned to mix um jungle first before any other genre is that what and you were into I, as a teenager then? Yeah, I love that. And again, I'm st- I still love it now, but and I could, that could be a whole separate <laughs> your, your face even thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's me all over. I think but, you um, are exactly the right age for exactly the best stuff, perhaps. So, mm, 94. I, mean, I, I lived in that era. I was going <laughs> rave. It was my first experience of raving as well when I was like 94, I was 17. What was your first so, rave? Um... I went to a place called Q Club in Birmingham and what was it called? It was called Pure X. <laughs> I still got the flyer, I still got the tapes, still got everything. Nice. So all the memorabilia is all still there so I can still relive all of that stuff. But anyway, so I'd, what I'd do is I was obsessed with tapes with a thing back then. I would listen to all of these sets and then I would find the records that, is that they've played and then try and work out how they've mixed these two tunes together and it took ages to obviously figure out. <laughs> yeah. So when you're persistent with something, you'll get that penny drop moment where you're kind of like, oh, I got it. It's in, like it's mixing, like that's it. Um, and then from there on, obviously I just carried on, carried on. After I'd learned to mix, obviously I couldn't get into the the jungle scene because it was just too hard to get into. How, how do you mean? Because even though Birmingham had its own scene and stuff like that, and it was producers and labels and stuff like that here, it was just too hard to kind of, I didn't know, there was no entry points in there for me. There wasn't anybody that I could kind of say, oh, let me come along with you or, you know, or or I was just a stranger to anybody that was in that world. So there was no bringings. There was no, there was no kind of connection to anybody. However, um, by the time that we got to... 96 97 when the music started to change I then started to feel like I didn't really I wasn't enjoying it as much so then I'd go back to my original roots which was hip-hop R&B dancehall because those are the that's what that's the music that I was literally growing up on like from my sister and I was influenced so I'd go back to that and at that stage that was kind of like the Wu-Tang era the the Buster era, the the Nas era, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm now catching up on the few years that I've missed and starting to to catch up to what it is that's going on at that point. And I was enjoying it. I was kind of like, you know what, this is good, man. I, I like this. And then the records then I was buying was more hip-hop and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, there was one time where there was a kid that was down the road, that lived down the road for me. And um, his mum was a DJ on a pirate radio station. And he was going up on the pirate radio station doing, doing a set. And then I said to him one day, oh, can I come? And he says, yeah. So then I grabbed loads of the records that it is that I've got, grabbed a couple of my brother's ones as well, like just to kind of fill it out. And we've gone up there. And then I started playing some of these records on the show with him. And he said to me at that stage, right, well, if you're going to do this, you've got to have a name. I'm like, oh. I didn't think about that before. And I was like, don't ask me how or why, but I thought of G-Child. Obviously, uh, meant to get... I wonder, I was actually going to ask if it was because you were the youngest sibling, because you'd mentioned no, your do you know what? And sister. People have also asked whether it was in relation to um, Regulate with um, Warren Oh, G. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a line where it says, um, mm. 
Nate Dogg and the G Child, but it wasn't that. It was just something that just popped into my head, and I just thought, you know what, I'll run with that for now, almost like a temporary solution. <laughs> like, I'll just go with this, and then it just stuck. And then what happened with that radio station is that again, using my initiative, I was like, this is cool what it is that I was doing with my friend, but I want to do my own show. I want to do like my thing, and then. I asked him who it was that was running the radio station because at that point I didn't know. He told me who it was. I then approached that person, said I wanted my own show, and he gave it to me. So then now I've got my own show. What, what was the station, Gavin? Called Chris FM with a K. So then that's when it all really started to take shape. So at that point, again, initiative time where it was kind of like, I'm inspired by all these other DJs that are run like, Choice FM at the time, which was in Birmingham as well as London. Mm. And I'm wondering, how are they getting these records? Because I'm going to the record shops <laughs> and I'm buying promos and stuff like that. But yeah. they've already been played. So how are they getting them? So then I figured out that it's the record companies that are sending the DJs the music. So I'm like, well, how do I get to the record companies? Damn, so I've you're, you're like working from first principles yeah, on all of this. It. It's so funny to think about well, just it, being it, like... It's all a, a puzzle that yeah. I pieced together. I went to Choice FM. I went to the receptionist and I says, have you got a list of the record companies that send you music? And she gave me this list. And that list, I could actually frame it because it was so important to my career that when I got home, I ended up calling all of these record labels. And then one of them that I called that actually answered the phone was Sony and was Semtex. And Semtex at the time had just started doing radio promotions, promotions for Sony. and he then was looking for regional people to join his street team that he was having like nationwide. And long story short, I ended up doing like the Sony street team stuff with him. Now I'm getting all the records. Now I'm getting all the interviews. So at this stage, I've interviewed Mariah Carey. I've interviewed Destiny's Child. I've wow. interviewed Bill Scott. I've interviewed all of these people. And this has happened really quickly in terms of where I'd started and to where this has got to. Where, so it's kind of where like, were you interviewing them? For magazines? Yeah, no, in London. So I'd, yeah. I'd come down to London. I'd go down to, um, was it Great Marlborough Street? Or it might have been Great Port. Where, um, where Wise Buddha is. And I'd go down there, record them. They'd give me the tape of the recording. I'd play the, the interview on my show. And then all of a sudden, I'm now Golden Boy because I'm now coming with interviews with all of these. On a pirate station? You've got a Mariah Carey interview. Wow. (laughs) Exactly. This is real story. This is exactly what it is. I felt like like you'd suddenly fast forwarded to one extra then. I was like, hold up. But yeah, so you were running interviews with Destiny's Child on Birmingham Pirate Radio (laughs) in the 90s. That is wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was doing. And um, I've got all the interviews, all the tapes and everything still. And... Who who, who, was, who was your favourite person that you interviewed from that time? Bill Scott. Oh, Just really? Got... How I that with that because she was so motherly. In terms of, <laughs> like, I don't know if you know, like, um, if you've ever been to a Jill Scott concert or anything like that, like, the way that she is, is, like, she's one of the best performers, in my opinion, like, because she could have Brixton Academy feeling like you're at home in your front room. Do you know that type of vibe where it's so intimate, but at, at the same time, there's a whole lot of people in there. But the way that she captivates people is very unique. And there's there's very few, don't get me wrong, there's obviously loads of good performers or whatever, but there was something about her and about her, her demeanour and the way that she comes across that 
when I was interviewing her, I felt the same thing and it was kind of got even closer and it was nice. just nice. I always remember that. And were you getting into that sort of neo-soul streak at the time then? Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah because yeah. that was big at the time. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, her album, Erica Badu, Amal LaRue, um, who else was Maxwell, like all of those people were all kind of like the names of that time, you know? So again, fast forwarding, what that done is it then gave me a name in Birmingham. Yeah, you it must have been, people must have been, how the hell is he getting these <laughs> interviews? I mean, I know you said you were the golden boy, but like, yeah, like people must have, it must have blown people's minds that you had Mariah Carey and Destiny's Child on. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, it also brings a lot of hate as well, because right. if you, mm. I'm now coming into this. You've done it too so fast, good. yeah. And I've done it fast, <laughs> and I'm, I'm now overtaking people yeah. that have way before me, and but I'm a lone soldier, so I'm not part of a crew. I'm not part of a clique of any kind, any kind or anything like that. It's just me. Do you know what I mean? So uh, there was a lot of resentment and a lot of hate that I kind of got at the same time whilst that was happening. However, because I was determined to kind of make the best of my situation, I didn't care. At that point, there was this station that was being spoken about that Radio One were having this black music radio station and they were looking for regional talent. And they were going around the country scouting for talent. And when they came to Birmingham, people were saying, you need to speak to G-Child, you need to speak to G-Child. So is the person, Ray Paul, found my number, called me, and I will never forget the day, I was at my sister's, and he called me and he says, um, like introduced himself, said who he was, and he says, I want you to come and meet me, and I want you to bring a mix with you. I put the phone down. I said to my sister, I was like, this guy from, from Radio once just called and he says that he wants me, he wants to meet me, he wants me to bring a mix. I'm kind of like, this can't be real. So anyway, I've gone, met with him. It was the real deal. Fast forward, he then heard the mix, liked what it was that I was doing because I sent him a mix where I was mixing instrumentals and acapellas, but not just like I was doing it more or less like back to back or like like one would be an instrumental in acapella, then it'd be a normal track, and then I'd mix another song would be an instrumental in acapella, blah, blah, blah. So then he heard something within that, and then he called me down to the Radio 1 studios and asked me to do a pilot. Um, but what he says he wanted me to do was to, instead of putting any normal tracks in there, just do it back to back to back to back to back. So he's saying that he wants me to do this mix that's instrumentals and, and acapella back to back. Um I was like, okay, cool. It was a challenge. So I did it. And when I'd done the first pilot at Radio 1, I was so nervous. Have you ever seen them Calm tablets that you can buy? <laughs> like from, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's basically supposed to calm your nerves. I had to take some of those before I went to shoot. I was so nervous <laughs> because it felt like it was my big moment. And mm. if almost like that eight mile, lose yourself type moment yeah. that totally. you've only got one chance. And if you blow it, it, and you know what? I blew it. No. I it and I couldn't, I couldn't speak. <laughs> <gasps> I couldn't speak. I couldn't fight the nerves. It was just too much. It was because if you imagine we started this journey in late 97. And then by the time that we've got to 2000, 2000 and late 2000, early 2001, I'm sitting in the radio one studios. This is all too much for my brain to comprehend. Mm. I didn't feel like that. Yeah. I knew things were fast, but I wasn't expecting it to go that fast. And this station is a big deal because this is kind of like, this is the BBC now. So anyway, he 
sin through that and sin past the nerves and still ended up giving me a show, which then again felt surreal. But then I think after a while, I started to grow into it and started to feel at ease with what it was that I was doing. The show ended up becoming called The Refix instead of The Remix. And um, it went on for eight years. Um, something I did just want to ask, I think, I think we'll naturally go into the BBC, but something I just wanted to go back on. Um, what was, I mean, I guess the scene in general, but what was the pirate radio circuit like in Birmingham in the 90s? Because, I mean, we hear a lot about the London pirate radio scene, mm. but you never really it's, hear anything about it. All, listen, don't forget, and people don't realise this, is that there was pirate radio in Birmingham before there was in London. Right, OK. Really? Tell us about in that. Terms of that I, didn't, I didn't know that. Right, so there's a radio station, this is history, this is like a radio station called PCRL that was one of the first pirate radio stations in the country. Mm-hmm. When's what, that roughly then? Well, we're going back to, I'd say, either the late 70s, early 80s. For, right. for, for black music? For black music, yeah. yeah. That was like, like PCRL was, was a powerhouse in Birmingham. They had all the best DJs, they had... The black community lot hmm. because it was the only outlet that you could hear apart from you know he was listening to um what was her name is it jenny long jenny long was her name those janet people long. that used to, janet long the people that used to be on radio one that used to play a little bit of reggae here and there yeah but it wasn't yeah yeah you had like ranking miss p and, and people like that hmm. um in terms of community wise that was pcr and that's where you can listen to it 24 hours a day. Right. Could you pick it up across all of Birmingham as well? Or was it only a certain yeah. area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, all okay. across Birmingham. And if they were to hold a party, like these parties are legendary in Birmingham, like a PCRL party, roadblock. Funny as well, because so, you think... Um, sorry, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Well, you think about the history of London Pirates and there are a lot of them, you know, at different times. And the idea that one station could sort of control overall what like an entire community were listening to is just not possible london's too big and no, birmingham's exactly. massive but to to it's be able to it's, yeah. it's not too yeah not so big that you it's can't have this kind of joining up of of mind yeah right but the way to look at it to look at it geographically is that birmingham as a whole, you've got an inner city, mm. which is close to the city centre of Birmingham. And the inner city area is mainly populated with black people. So when you're broadcasting, it's not that you can go across the whole of Birmingham, of course, but what you're doing essentially is is you're going across the inner city. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's as far as you really need yeah, to go. Yeah. To you don't out. need the people of Bart Green coming down really, do you? So right, exactly. So it doesn't really matter <laughs> if you're going that far. If you are, then great. You know, but if you're not, it's okay because you're a community radio station and you're broadcasting to the community that's within close remit to to um, to where the station is. Right. And was this still a powerhouse going into the '90s when you started? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it PCRL still- was still the number one, but but then what happened is obviously they influenced other pirate radio stations. Mm. So then they became more, and then by the time that I joined in, PCR was still going, but they declined a little bit more because there was other ones that were coming through. And then there was one of them that I joined, always got to mention Sting FM, which was kind of like the new kid on the block where all of the 
the younger DJs and the established older DJs were on the station. So then they got the buzz and then everybody was listening to them. And then they kind of carried on from where PCRL had left off. And I think like with PCRL, they had the opportunity to kind of to go legal and everything. And um, I think, I don't know if this is like Chinese whispers or, or he said or whatever, but apparently that the, the authorities have said, if the person that it is that runs it stops running it, then it can go legal. But if he continues to run uh... it, then I'm going to allow that to happen. Um, because the person that run it was very radical. Like it was very pro-black, very radical, very kind of like, like he, I remember he'd do like talk shows and it would be very kind of like talking about ancestry and, and that type of thing. And I think because he was very anti the system, it's a guy called Cecil Morris, because he was very anti the system, I think that the authorities didn't really like that as well. Sure. Yeah. And didn't want him kind of having that much control over a sector when they did when they felt like he might be a bit of a loose cannon and, and don't know what it is that he could say but like just to, to finish on that like the pirate radio was that powerful that it caused a riot you, well, literally literally because if this is how powerful the voice of pirate radio was in birmingham that if you was to say something that was controversial or wrong then the next thing you know, that word is going to spread. Right. And that's word can spread negatively where it can cause violence. And that's happened. Mm. Mm. Right. So if we're going back to the BBC, so, so you join the BBC, you're part of the opening uh, roster of One Extra when yeah, it launched in 2002, right? So so coming into that and obviously One Extra launches as like a black specialist station or urban as it was often called. Yeah. What was the 90s going into the early 2000s? Um, what was the landscape like as someone who was there regularly on radio absorbing it in terms of DJs playing black music on mainstream radio? Because as someone who's a bit younger, when you hear the stories about it, it's kind of always the same key names that get brought up. Like it's Trevor Nelson, Westwood, Rodigan, people like that. Um, but I thought it'd be really interesting to hear your take on it as someone who was actually there um, yeah. in terms of how you saw it in that period, maybe in terms of people who don't historically get the credit they should get for their yeah. roles in it. Mine was different because mm. I, was, I wasn't I was raised in London, so I don't know the days of Trevor Mad Hatter. Yeah. I don't know the days of Rudigan, like, in his, in his Kiss era or Westwood in his Kiss era. Um, because those were stations that were unheard of to me back then. Right, yeah, yeah. What I remember and what I was influenced by was, again, the Pirates, but then again, Choice FM was a massive influence because there was DJs that were on there that, again, were playing all the the biggest songs or playing them first. And, like, Birmingham had its own, own scene, own kind of incubator sort of thing where... We had our own talent, we had our own nightclubs, so we didn't necessarily need to kind of rely. Don't go wrong, we was always, people probably won't like me saying this if they hear this, there was, there was always an uh, an inferior kind of position that London was in, where London, to me anyway, growing up, London was kind of like this magical place of kind of like, like, like 
I even remember my, my barber when I used to cut my hair when I was little and he said, like, I'm going to give you a cut like how they do in London. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of feeling like, you know, like you're up with it. Um, however, I think that Birmingham definitely did hold its own. I think we had a lot of historical things that had happened here that people that grew up in the city will hold very close to their hearts. I think it was a very interesting time in terms of the transition from the 90s into the noughties because the 90s was so influential and had left so much of an impact. And I think that there was kind of like the tailor end of that that was kind of happening still in the early noughties where for me, I started to feel like I was getting a chance to kind of continue on Mm. what it is that happened during that decade of the 90s into the noughties. And it felt like, again, some of the influences that it is I had, there were people like, as I know you said to mention some of the names that probably don't get mentioned as well. There was a guy called um, Simon Schoolboy Phillips, who was on Choice FM. Um, Choice FM turned into Galaxy. He was on there as well. He left Choice FM to then do, sorry, left Galaxy to then do Capital in London. He was a big deal. And he was the kind of guy where he'd do a daytime show and he'd do a specialist show. And the way that he'd do these shows were almost like two separate people. And it used to blow my mind that this guy could present a specialist show just as good as he could do a daytime show. And that used to influence me so much because I used to listen to him as a broadcaster and then listen to him as also a DJ. Mm. And then it got to the point where it turned into a bit of a stalker. I used to call up the show and try and get myself into competitions. I remember I actually won um, Jay-Z's first album on his show. Um, and then I used to go to clubs that he was playing at in Birmingham and just study him. Do you know what I mean? Like, and he knows this, like, because I, I obviously got to meet him and, and then got to become cool with him and blah, blah, blah. But um, who else was there? Um, another guy called Big John, who's a dancehall DJ who, in my opinion, is still one of the greatest dancehall DJs from this country. He's, he's amazing. Um, who else is there? Dean Alexander was another one that used to do a hip-hop show. And he broke the news. One of the significant things of his career was he broke the news the night that um, Tupac died. Wow, okay. Huh. So he mentioned it because, again, that was kind of like his show was kind of like the the show that everybody listened to on a Sunday night. And then he broke the news. And I remember being at work at the time and, and hearing it and be like, no way, like, whoa. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, there's there's so much more that I could mention. There's so many key players that I think I've had. <clears throat> Trevor um, Trevor Ranks, a guy called Trevor Ranks as well, I never mentioned. There's so many different people that it is that I think had such an influence on what it is that happened in Birmingham and happened within that golden time of the 90s that then ended up shaping things to come into the noughties. Tom and I were talking earlier about the sort of structure of making radio and particularly at the BBC and this idea of the playlist and how dominant the playlist can be, or the playlists rather, um, and a lot of certainly BBC Radio um, is structured around these sort of ABC playlists, right? And you do have your specialist shows, but in the daytime, that's sort of how it works. Um, and we thought it would be just good to ask you about that because I think 
increasingly, well, it, it can't really speak for an entire generation, but I think that type of radio is perhaps has less penetration with much younger people now than it would have done then. And I'm kind of interested to know, like, what involvement you had in uh, making your own... Or, how the playlist affected you putting your shows together and whether you were ever part of the sort of playlist committee because there are these sort of secret cabals of playlist makers who are so powerful actually like if you decide as a group to put something on the a-list that that could be a big hit so yeah what was your experience of that in terms of the radio station and how the playlist used to work so there was a playlist committee there was um we used to do playlist meetings i think they were every two weeks and there would be a select amount of DJs, producers, um, obviously the, the head of music. Um, and we'd sit in the room and we'd go through like tracks that have that are forthcoming, tracks that have been sent in by labels or whatever, tracks that and the DJs as, as well were allowed to bring in their own songs so they could send in songs that they think should be on the playlist or whatever. So it was very open and very kind of like, it wasn't kind of like, what we say goes, they wanted to have the influence of the DJs as well because they knew the importance of kind of DJs breaking music and and being tastemakers. So it was um it was is definitely very open. I enjoy going to the playlist meetings. Um it was always interesting to see what had made it and what didn't. It was always interesting to see some of the controversy around some of the songs that some people that would divide the room that some people thought should have been, some people thought it shouldn't. Does it make it? Does it not? Um, there was a couple of songs that were like that. I'm not going to mention because I don't want to hype anybody up. But there were some songs that certain people were saying not to play, and then those songs became hits. Hmm. And it was Is like American songs or UK songs. UK, UK. <gasps> yeah. Okay. Because don't forget, at that point in time as well. Oh, I wonder. As yeah. much as like the, the thing is, and, and I guess we didn't realize this at the time, but one extra like made such a pivotal role in breaking UK music because it took it to another, to a completely different level than it had ever been at before. And don't get me wrong, it was, it always had like there was pockets of it here and there that were kind of happening from different platforms or whatever. But I think one extra kind of brought it all together. And then you was getting the best of, of everything at that point. So there was three drum and bass shows. There were three dancehall shows. There were three hip hop shows. There were three R and B shows. So you're getting an abundance of specialist music throughout the week, every week, which if you look at how it is in this present day, name a radio station that does that. So if you can imagine back then, that was groundbreaking. And it, and it was only until like the 20th anniversary that they celebrated last year. Yeah, last year, yeah. And I said to myself, wow. And it's looking back at all of these things, like from then, from 2002, where it's kind of like, wow, this really is historic. This is really some groundbreaking stuff that actually happened here. So, and and the playlist was was vitally important to that because I think it was the first time that people were actually starting to hear like some of these acts, like hearing Dizzy, I Love You on the playlist. That's not just being played once on a specialist show. This is now being spun from 6 a.m. until 7 p.m. I don't know how many times a day, five, six times a day, every day. And there was nowhere else that was doing that on a national level. So the playlist, like you were saying, that they did make tunes in my opinion they definitely highlighted 
a lot of music, independent music as well, that didn't have the major backing that was still being pressed up on white labels and then being playlisted like on a BBC radio station on a national radio station is huge. On that note, though, when you talk about independent stuff on white labels being playlisted, um, was it the case that you had, you know, I don't want to say Dizzy because Dizzy got signed to Excel and it's a little bit different. Like, did you have actual tracks that it just came through and it was like, there's no real plan about this. We don't know what this artist is going to do next, but we're just going to fully back it because it is that good. Or was yeah. there a big element of like, we need to know that this is a horse we're going to look smart backing in the next three, four nah, years? That's one. No, nah, that's one thing. And I'll big up um, Laura Lucans because the thing is Laura Lucans, when she was doing the playlist, she was from our background. Mm. She came from pirate radio. So she so, understood that culture. She understood the fact that, yeah. Gets it. So it's not just about jumping on a wave because like the labels are saying that it's big or whatever. It's about being as close to the ground as you can. Mm. Do you still think it's as, it's as valid now in 2023? I'm just thinking about mm. it. People it's consume hard. music in such a different way and actually music gets broken in such a different way. Maybe yeah. less so on a Radio 1, but on a 1 Extra or a 6 Music, which is slightly more specialist leaning. Do you think playlists still feel valid in that format? I think they're still important because I think nowadays things are quantified by looks. Yeah, and numbers. And numbers, but that's a part of the, that's a part of the look. So the, 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 the tweeting, the post of... A-list, one extra. A-list, kiss fresh. A-list, capital extra. A-list, rinse. A-list, Soho radio. All of those things add weight to whatever it is that that person is posting. It adds something, do you know what I mean? Like, without a shadow of a doubt, does it do the same in the sense of so many people are listening to this that it has that listening impact? Maybe not. I think we've gone past that stage now. But at the same time, that doesn't mean necessarily that it's not as important or as valid as what it was. All it is is that it's just transitioned into, as I said, a look more so now, I think. Because I don't know if if something gets played on Radio 1 that the next day in school everybody's talking about it like the same way that they right, would have. Yeah, yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. However, if... If AJ and Dino, like when AJ and Dino came out, so if AJ, do you remember AJ and Dino yeah, yeah, when yeah. they done, yeah. done the singing thing? Well, yeah, of course, you know. So when they done the singing thing, and if say that the AJ and Dino get to one extra or whatever, and they get playlists, that's a big deal. Mm. That's a big deal. Like these, these are school kids. Do you know what I mean? Like so, or if they get mentioned by GRM Daily, that's a big deal. Yeah. It means equally the same type of thing. It's the buzz, it's the look, do you know what I mean? So I think um, that, yeah, things have kind of changed a little bit more so now. And I don't, I, I wouldn't disregard the power of kind of playlists and radio play because I still think it's really important. I still think that it holds weight. I still think it's valid. But I just think it's transcended from what it was into something else now. Fair enough. Um, Is that diplomatic or what? It's a little diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> but one, of the, the one thing that I wouldn't do, and I, I would say, honestly, if I thought it, if I thought that there was no relevance of radio playlists or anything like that, I'd say that, you know what, it, it doesn't do anything for yeah, anybody. Yeah, I know what you're saying. 
Do you know what I mean? I don't think it is anyway. I feel like it does still hold some significant value. Yeah, but I think you're also right in the sense that it's probably more something that is alongside a big Spotify playlist cover or yeah, 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 a GRM yeah, premiere or whatever at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's morphed more than anything. Mm. By the time that we got to 2007, eight, it then started to go where quality was coming out of it, in my opinion, where I started to feel like a lot of the stuff that it was that I was hearing that was new, I weren't, I was, it was okay, but I was playing stuff, especially by the time that we got to 2009. I was, and I, I'm not even ashamed to admit this, I was completely playing stuff off the basis it was new rather than mm. the basis that I actually cared about it. Mm. 100%. There was so much records that I'd play where it's kind of like, yeah, that's new. And it's new from blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool, play. And, and that's where the, the passion and the position that I was in was completely taken for granted. Like, didn't really, didn't value it in the same way. Didn't enjoy it in the same way. It was just like, it was all, R&B at that stage for me was on a decline. It was going on. It was like, it just wasn't, and yeah, it just wasn't motivating me in, in the same kind of way that it was in the early part of it. Do you feel, and I don't, this is going to sound blunt, I don't mean it that way, do you feel like that's why the show ended? Like, Absolutely. Did, yeah, you felt like you'd run your course yeah, as like a R&B fan almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the passion wasn't there. So the passion's not there. I didn't care about it as much. And it, it's, and it, I'm saying this in almost like a blasé way, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that I didn't care about it enough to try and save it. Mm. And they could hear the decline of what it was that I was doing. So it wasn't up to the same standard of what I was previously doing when I was all in, all invested, all kind of like, this is my world sort of thing. It's kind of just been there just to kind of be there. So by the point that I'd lost the show when they told me that I'd no longer have the show no more, I wasn't like... Yeah, were you surprised? Nah. <laughs> not in the same way don't get me wrong it's never nice when you get that when you get that call into the room and you get getting told that you know your show's getting axed it's never nice for anybody I don't care who you are it's never a nice thing um but dependent on where you are mentally and what's in your environment at the time is going to depend on how it's going to affect you now the way that it affected me and I'll be honest, I've never spoken about this before, is that it affected me more so mentally because everything else around me changed. And the people that want, wanted to have conversations with me didn't care no more. Right, yeah. You've lost everything that it is that people are communicating with you about. And I'm now trying to go back to my natural inhabitat, which is being um, spontaneous and kind of using my initiative and thinking of ideas, but no one cares. Mm-hmm. No one's well, interested. So was that a hard period for you? Because I mean, there's there's a, there's actually an old Facebook post that you dug out on Twitter recently where you referred to being lost. Absolutely. Yeah. I was depressed. I went through the toughest time of my, my whole life. I've never been through a tougher period. Never. So for the from the point of... 2010 to about 2011, 12, maybe. 
thoughts that I would even want to share. The tough, wow, okay. tough, tough, tough. Really difficult because everything could come crumbling down. This whole wave that I've been riding so high for so long, so quickly, mm. and all come to a crashing end. Mm. Yeah. There's something the I... Of... Sorry, go on. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just there's there's actually something... I read it in this... Um, there's a really good newsletter by this guy, Sam Valenti, called Herb Sundays, and... I think it was something he said. This guy, Sam Valenti. This guy, the boss of Ghostly. Right. Okay. Yeah. Fair. So he has um, <laughs> but something he talked about in the newsletter a while ago, which I think we're all as adults aware of, but it made me think a lot. Is that one of the things he talks to artists about when he signs them is the idea that at some point you're going to be cold, and your hot streak's going to run out, or you're no longer on that up streak. And a big thing he does with new artists is preparing them for that period. And like, there is always going to be a couple of year period in your career, unless you're one of the lucky. 0.1 percent where mm -hmm. people think you've fallen off or no one really cares and you have to get through that period had anyone prepared you for that at all absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was the, it was the it was the rude awakening that i never knew i needed yeah right i mean it's kind of thing where um I, I wasn't prepared for it even though like i guess subconsciously i guess i was to a certain degree but then when it actually happens I mean, yeah, I guess there's certain things that it is that mentally you say to yourself, the day's going to come. But then when the day does actually come, you don't know how mentally ready you are for it until you're actually in it. So um, at that point, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I was mentally ready for it. I think it was very challenging. Um, there was so much stuff that was going on in my personal life at the same time that was also bringing extra challenges However, the very interesting part of this, which is probably going to make a really nice segue, is that the same day that I found out that I'd lost a show on One Extra was the same day that I found out about Represent. Hmm. Wow. How did you find That's out? That's an absolute truth because there was a, an organisation, I think they might be still running, called Media Trust. And while I was still at One Extra, I remember I was saying to them, I want to do like some talks with like young people go to schools, blah, blah, blah. And they wasn't really coming back with anything. So I was just like, again, initiative, going online, finding what I could find, find out about this place called Media Trust that work with different organisations and do pair-ups and stuff like that. Um, and they had their offices, I think it was in King's Cross. So by the time that I'd left Great Portland Street, I remember getting on the tube, going to King's Cross, going to this meeting about this radio station in Peckham, um, called represent and do I want to go down there do I want to check it out yeah why not and funny enough when I'd lost the show on one extra I was where was I living yeah I was living in Luton mm -hmm. don't ask <laughs> <laughs> yeah. close but to the then, airport I guess well yeah then that was a part of the reason okay part of the reason was to go there because I thought I was going to be close to the airport but I was also going to be close to Birmingham as well and I could kind of just get onto the M1 and I'd go either side to London Birmingham in an hour but it didn't work out because it was like a ghost town and I couldn't stand it there and I had to leave. So anyway, I've ended up moving from um, from Luton and then moving to West Norwood. And then when I found out about Represent being in Peckham, well, it's not far because I'm on the same, I'm on the right side of, of the river for that. So I can go from West Norwood to Peckham 20 minutes. So anyway, um, when I've gone down to Represent and... It's like this, it's the last, um, it's the last building at the end of a parade of shops. And 
when I've gone to the front door, I didn't even think it was a radio station, to be fair. I was kind of like, well, this is definitely <laughs> Everything's going right. to be a big climb down from Great Portland Street, BBC, isn't right, it? You exactly. know? <laughs> and I walked in there and um, I remember thinking, like going into the studio and thinking, like basic, and it wasn't, I, don't get me wrong, obviously I didn't have the expectations of seeing a world-class studio or anything like that. But then as well, not forgetting the experience that I've had, one of my own of having makeshift equipment that I've just bought from my friend and I'm making it work whichever way I can. To then go into pirate radio where the equipment is nothing flashy. This it's again makeshift. To then go into a pirate radio station where it's like, do you know what? They've got a desk, they've got um some CDJs, we can work with this. So in my head, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not overlooking it, I'm not um disregarding it and thinking, oh, what is this? Like, oh, I'm not touching that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, that type of attitude. It's like, no, this is okay. Okay, cool. And I said, yeah, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do some mentoring here. And then that's how it started. So how quickly uh, uh, rep? So you were, am I right in saying you originally came on as like a volunteer? Absolutely. Yeah. And then how quickly did that turn into like a full-time role? Um, and I guess what I, did your role encompass? Was it was it sort of mostly scheduling production or was it specifically mentorship? No, I'll tell you exactly what it was. So um, I volunteered there for about about nine months for a while. And then there was the odd little paid thing here or there where they'd send me out to do like a DJ workshop or anything like that. But anything that I was doing mainly at rep um, wasn't paid. So the, all the times that I was spending with jams or whatever, I was well, the majority of the early times that I was spending with jams, I wasn't being paid for that. That was just, um, that was just kind of like hobby type stuff. Um, and then by the time that I did get a job there, the official title was creative producer, head of music, which is a title that I coined for myself. Because I found <laughs> like all the best titles. <laughs> because that's the one that I wanted. But in terms of job role, what it is that I did is that I'd done a lot of the, the recruiting. I'd done, I'd say, 70% of the recruiting of the talent that, that ended up getting shows. I'd done the playlist. I'd done the imaging. So all the imaging that was on there, like, because I used to have this imaging that was there and it was kind of like like three or four um, ident's that they had. And I was kind of like, it's, it's got to be more varied than this. So then I remember I got one of the presenters to do the voiceover for me. No, in fact, no, 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 no. That's not, not, that's not what happened. First of all, there's this girl called Sifa who I was working with, girl, lady called Sifa who I was working with. And I heard her voice and she's got this voice that reminded me of um, June Sarpong. <laughs> yeah, and she's got this voice that just reminded me of someone that should be doing voiceover work. So I got her in the studio, got her to record all of these idents and, and all of this imaging for the station. And then we used that for the time being. And then um, we ended up using one of the presenters because I wanted a youthful voice and I wanted something that would represent, no pun, the station. So I found um, one of the young kids that, that I thought had the right type of voice and then got him to do that instead. And then that became the sound of the station. Um, and then funny story is that the same person that started doing the voiceover originally now runs a voiceover company. <laughs> nice. I don't want to dwell on the collapse of Radar too much for obvious reasons. Oh. But... I, 
I don't even mind. It is what it is, Tamla. I mean, with the last time that we spoke, we've, we've had this conversation. I'm sure. I was, was going to say. I it's think all we... going to come out on this podcast eventually if we carry on. For yeah, long. exactly. Hey, it is what it is. It's one of them ones. And I mean, the, th- the thing about it is that it's not even a secret. I mean, if you want to skip to that part now, it's fine. We can. But if there's anything else, you want to touch on with the representative we'll, we'll come back to it all we'll come yeah. back to it all a moment for radar yeah a moment for radar i mean how do you look back at that period because it was okay. pretty pretty uh, wild not not um, just the collapse the whole three years of radar was wild yeah yeah, yeah. i look at it as bittersweet because for me radar i think and i don't mean this to sound um I'm, well i guess actually it's probably the same for everybody but for me it's it was very a very significant time in my career because I'd just been made redundant from Represent. This is a real true story, Tom. I don't even know if you know this, right? But at, towards the end of Represent, one of the young people turned around to me and was talking about this radar thing, but was laughing at it because they were saying that this is a radio station that doesn't even have a website and all they've got is a player. So there's no kind of like pages on this website. So when you go to radarradio.com, you're greeted with a player and that is it. No information on the shows, nothing. Okay. And then me being inquisitive, want to find out a little bit more about this. So who knows who here? And then when I found out that Aaron Hansen's girlfriend at the time was working there, I said, could you introduce me to whoever it is that owns this radio station? He said, yeah, okay, cool. Which is obviously Ollie. Mm -hmm. So then I've sent him an email and says, you know, this is what it is that I've been doing like to come down and have a look at what it is that's going on here he said yeah cool no problem so I've gone down there and then I've met with him but then as I'm walking down there and I'm walking down Old Street and I've got to Timber Street and I've turned the corner and I've looked at the building and I said to myself hold on a minute this building's massive and I remember him opening the doors and I've walked up the stairs but then when I've walked up the stairs it's kind of like this is weird it's kind of like run this floor and there's like some bean bags around and it's empty. There's nobody here. And there's one radar radio, one radar radio t-shirt that's hanging up on this um on this lamp. And I'm kind of like, and then there's all these post-it notes, there's everything as well on this door, and I'm kind of on the wall. And I've gone into the studio and I've looked at it and I've seen pioneer decks, like not technics, pioneer decks, and I'm kind of like, the hell are these? But then I'm seeing like just a mixer and I'm seeing a real basic setup. And it's it's been run off like a um like a mixing desk. It's all a bit strange. So I'm asking questions, blah, blah, blah. And I remember the one question that I asked him was: so, because this is the, the first thing that's coming to my mind is how is this funded? Because I've turned around to him, I said to him, like, how's this funded? And he says, privately owned. Okay, all right, cool. <laughs> okay, it's what it is. I didn't take much more from it than that. And then I remember saying, to, well, him saying to me, like, when can you start? And then when we'd arranged, like, the fee and everything, which coincidentally, the day that I started at Radar was the same day that I was supposed to go to the job centre and sign on. Wow. He's then give me this job and I've gone down there and there was no kind of like, you know, when you go to a new job and you get like an introduction and it's kind of like, you know, you kind of get warmed into it and you kind of say, right, you're going to be doing this and this is what you're going to do here. It was kind of like, well, here it is. Like do what you do. 
what do I do? Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm kind of like confused. And how many people were even working there at the time? Ben was there. It was just Ben. Literally, Literally just, just, just you and, and Ben. Just, yeah, it was just Ben, Taz. Um, I don't want to forget anybody just in case. Um, was Dom there? I don't know if Harriet was there at the time. I don't know if Harriet had started then as well. I don't know. Dom wasn't there, no. Um, I don't think Harriet was... No. Yeah, no, was she there? Oh, man. Harriet was definitely there really early. I remember Harriet I think being she there the was. first I think time Harriet I was there, there before me. I think, I think she was, yeah. I think she was... Um, but I think at that stage... I can't remember what she was doing, but I think, yeah, I think she was there before me, if I remember correctly. Um, but anyway, there was, there was kind of like... Basically, this radio station, no structure. So... What Ali had said to me, he says, right, what I want you to do is MOT the station for me. I want you to go from the top to the bottom and look at everything that it is that's going on operation-wise with this. And that's what I did. And then I looked at it and I says to myself, okay, this is cool. This is great. And I can see why this has got some sort of buzz because by the time that I got to Radar, there was already a buzz that was there because of the grime stuff that was happening because of the grime stuff was, was already just starting to, to 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 get somewhere there was there was like these grime sets that were happening there that wasn't happening really anywhere yeah, else yeah. so there was already a, a a slight buzz that was starting to happen but ever, however i just looked at it when i looked at the schedule and i just looked at it as almost like organized confusion just looked at all of these post it notes all over the place and then you've got one show that's doing um once every eight weeks and you've got another show that's doing once every two weeks you've got one show that's doing an hour once every whatever and it's just all over the place and it i couldn't i couldn't get my head around that as a schedule yeah so your job was to turn it into a radio station basically right exactly and that's exactly what it is that i did but then what i also noticed which was quite evident is that there was no real presenters that were there in terms of people that would do almost like generic daytime type shows. So <clears throat> some of the things that it is that I wanted to implement was right, even though there was two shit that was there that was doing his um his morning show. And I looked at that for this is cool, but then I think and I don't I don't even think it might be saying like there was parts of that where it was getting like real close to the edge and it was kind of like this is wild man like some of the stuff that's been said this is crazy and don't get me wrong that warmed me into the mentality of radar do you know what I mean like yeah. even with the slogan and all the rest of it and it kind of I'd forgotten was, about the slogan I don't, can't forget about the slogan what's um, the slogan tune in or fuck off <laughs> I'd actually one completely one. forgotten about that no, that, 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 that was a, a big part of the station's identity. But then when I looked at what it was they were doing, I, I kind of was thrown back by it. But then I also looked at it as kind of like borderline revolutionary. Because where else can you do that? Where I come from, originally, you can kind of do what you want. Well, it sounds like the pirate radio station in Birmingham you were talking about, you know. Right, except, don't get me wrong, there was some efficacy there where you couldn't just swear and you couldn't play music that had swearing oh, yeah, in there. Okay. You had to be, <laughs> you had to, to kind of like, you know, bear in mind that that you probably have younger people listening or whatever. Right, yeah. When I looked at Radar, where it was just like, and this has always been like my my synopsis of, radi of Radar, 
rebellious radio. It's back to the it's back to the to the radio industry. Saying that, saying that, like this is how this is how we do it. And I looked at it that the, one of the main things that needed to change needed to change the daytime output. We need to have regular shows on there. So that's where we brought in Shy from Represent and brought her over to Radar. Then um, brought in Jay Davia, um, brought in Ralph to do more daytime rather than him just doing this random special show. Um, who else was there? There's loads of like Camilla and people like that building audience that way. And I got it right. I'm like in, in the most modest way, I got it right because what that did by doing it that way is it propelled the station's reputation very quickly. Do you know what I mean? Because all of a sudden now, this person's on there, that person's on there, this person, and then and there's familiarity with what it is they're doing because they're tweeting about what they're doing. Because Twitter then at that point was even more influential than what it is now, in my opinion. So when these people are saying, tune in to me on radar, blah, 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 and people are seeing that and, and the retweets are coming in and blah, 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 very quickly, you're now starting to build a reputation for the station. And then that made it even easier for me to have conversations with other people about this radio station. Well, you also comment. picked a lot of hosts that then accelerated in size very quickly, right? You know what? Shy, Kenny thing. All-Star, J.K. Bemper. Yeah, Poet. the Radar Radio lineup really, it turned into a real all-star radio station. Mm-hmm. Because let's not forget Receipts Podcast, we're on Radar. Yeah. Let's not forget Michael Dapper, Mo the Comedian, Mo Gilligan, we're both on Radar. Um, who else was there that there was on that's gone on to kind of obviously Big Zoo, but I can't claim for Big Zoo because he was there before me. But then look at his career now, like Alham, kind of. I can't remember if he ever Al-Han. actually had a show, but he was always about and on people's shows, yeah, 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 yeah. Alham's another one. Um, there was loads that kind of there's some free shots of tequila, there's loads of different ones that kind of that I looked at and says. Um, even Aloni as well, who's doing great. Um, there's loads of them that I looked at that I, I seen an opportunity to kind of make this rebellious radio station in terms of bringing in a balancing between people that I already know that their content is controversial. I know it is. It's not straight down. It's not. It's not family listening type stuff. But then there's also a balancing between people that are like that. So where you have got the kind of like the Camillas. Or um, who else was there that, that I brought in that was kind of like Jay Davia to a degree, where they they're more kind of like on the the PG side of things, so they don't need to swear and all that kind of stuff. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So it was kind of trying to find that balance in between pushing it to the edge and keeping it on the safe side as well. And I think it got there, but then I look at the demise of a part of it. Is that in an in a in an unrealistic mind? That sounds like radio heaven. In a realistic term, can't put all of these people that have got all of these different opinions all in the same space together and think that there's never going to be anybody that offends another person. It's just not going to happen. And so, like with the the whole pussy palace situation. It didn't come as a surprise to me because after when I started to dawn on it and I started to think to myself, well, you've got 
three shots of tequila on one side and then you've got Pussy Palace on the other. But these are the polar opposite to each other. Like you're never going to see any of the guys from Three Shots of Tequila being guests on Pussy Palace's show. And you're never going to see any of the people from Pussy Palace being guests on Three Shots of Tequila show. So they're worlds apart, but they're also on the same platform. So at some point, somebody somewhere somehow is going to hear something that's going to offend. And when it does, well, we know what the outcome is now. Where do you think the station would be now? Like how, how big do you think it could have got realistically? It would have been huge. It would have been absolutely huge. Huge. Groundbreaking. It was, it was groundbreaking at its time. And in, in its time when it was like, I think it was groundbreaking, but I also think it was ahead of its time. But I also think that it, the reason why it works so well is because it, it fitted into a niche that wasn't already there. Mm. So carved out its own little, its own little lane. And then people then started to realise how much that was needed. Yeah. Do you think you still and could I'll, have been working there, or would you have just completely lost your mind at that point? Because it was a very, it was a very intense working environment. I, it did. It got to like I was. Listen, there's people that would vouch me. Yeah, where I was saying, listen, I'm ready to go. You know, <laughs> I don't think I can do this anymore. You know, I'm ready to go. And I remember I kept on saying like to certain people that I used to kind of confide in, where I was kind of like, because it was it was. It was getting there was the, the pressure was intense. There was a lot of pressure that was being put onto us, and there was a lot of a lot of things where it was kind of like you could just see that it was spinning a lot of plates, but then plates now are starting to they're starting to wobble a little bit too much. And obviously, when one plate fell, the rest of them fell along with it as well, and, and then it all came crashing down. We've actually got a call it in a little bit, but I thought it'd be good to end on some kind of okay. Big picture questions about radio, draw from your expertise a little bit and, and maybe have some questions about the general, I guess, state and future of British radio. Yeah. Um, well, so, so let me just frame this for, for you a bit. So I think obviously, as we mentioned before, I mean, the role of One Extra and Radio One in shaping like British music, what what youth listen to has changed really a lot in the time that, you know, since the time that you started there. Pirate radio, of course, completely evolved, you know, or, or disappeared in some ways. Online radio is sort of taking over that underground position sometimes. Um, so I guess we're curious about what what role radio has right now in shaping British music and particularly black British music. Um, and yeah, just your, to get your perspective on how important it actually now is. Because we all enjoy it, right? But I think it's massive. I think it's still look. The thing is, is that the answer is within the question. Because if you look at it and look at where we are now at this current stage in the the evolution of black music in this country <clears throat> in 2023, well, the majority of people that are now at the top of their game, where have they come from? What's their root? their background how did they get their break and i'm not talking about me as an individual i'm just talking about as a plat as platforms well how did it happen and i guarantee you that the majority of them now you stem it back and you find that the the seed is radio so radio don't get me wrong i know that there's still there's other people that there's another medium which obviously people use um 
Instagram, TikTok and stuff like that now to kind of profile themselves and give themselves a voice, um, which is which is equally as important now. But I also think that when done correctly, radio still amplifies voices. It still amplifies careers. I think there's only a few and a very, very small minority that have dwelled into radio and it hasn't done anything in terms of boosting their profile. But I would think that the majority of people that would say the opposite, that yeah, when I started doing the re- the radio stuff, bam, 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 bam. They're all over the place. And that's even for established people that have then started, ended up like, like that were personalities before and then they've ended up doing radio and then they've, they've ended up now doing even more stuff. So I think that there's still a huge relevancy for radio. I think it also helps give people confidence and a way of thinking that they might have struggled to get out into the open before they started doing radio. So I think it's very confidence building. Mm. I think it kind of helps people then realise that they can have a voice. They can have a loud voice. They can have a voice that's heard by multiple people at the same time. Because I've seen it so many times where it's kind of like quiet, like really, really kind of quiet people. Martha, for example, really, really quiet. She still is now, I'd imagine. Like, I haven't spoken to her for a while, but really, really quiet. But then listen to her on radio, confident, expert in her field, knows it inside out. That's what radio brings. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, 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 I can't say that there's, there's not any other medium that brings the same thing because I don't really know that in depth about other mediums, but I definitely know that radio can bring that out of a person. So in answer, I think that radio in 2023 is still very important. The future of it, I don't know. That one I can't really comment on too much because I'm not as close to the to the pulse as I was like, I mean, it's been five years now since I've worked in radio and I haven't concentrated on it in the same way that I used to intensely do so every single day before. So where it's going and how it is now at this current state, I don't really know. I don't know because I'm 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 not I'm not I'm not across it enough to give a good enough opinion. If I was to give an opinion from afar. I would probably say bring in a little more um, rebellious radio back into the system again. <laughs> but do it this time with more regulation, of course. And <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to say like... Reform, not revolution. <laughs> yeah. Like, a little more sense and, 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 you know, but bring that back because, and the re- only reason, and only reason that, that I say that, and I guess this is a good way to, to conclude is that for the stems of black music in this country, that's what it was built off. It was built off rebellious radio. It didn't come in the form of acceptance. We can all do this and it's fine, blah, blah, blah. It was done in a way where it was, it was penalized. It was the kind of thing where you can't do this. What broadcasting this type of music, like from, from hit, you can't do no. This ain't allowed. You do this, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get a criminal record. You're going to get your music taken from you. Rebellious, but the people still did it, right? Because they wanted to, because they wanted to spread their message. They knew how important it was. 
And I don't ever think that black music in this country should ever lose a part of that heritage. I think it's very, very important. And I think it's also something that works hand in hand with a certain sector of youth culture. And I think if radio steers too far away from that, it's finished. I think that's a great answer. I drop mic. Great... Yeah, mic drop. drop. I think that's a... <laughs> <laughs> I had to leave you with one. Yeah, I think that's a great, kind of... great one to end on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, again, it's subjective. These are just the thoughts of, 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 of you know, an old radio guy that <laughs> a while ago. And, and again, this is not, you know... No, it's too, it's too late to be humble about it now. We're going to yeah. fully big you up. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gavin. What a pleasure. So I really do appreciate it. Thank you. I will say that I am now at the very, very beginning stages of writing a book. Oh. The minute you started saying that, I thought, please tell me it's a book. Great. That's great. I am, yeah. I've been speaking to um, to Ray Keith about it because I'm still, I'm really close with Ray. Like, I still see him all the time and... Not all the time, but anytime it comes to Birmingham or whatever, like we still see each other and we go for lunch and we have a good catch up and whatever. And obviously he wrote his book and it inspired me. And it was only like, I think about two or three weeks ago and I started saying to myself, Gavin, like document it all, man. Just put it out there. Even if it sells one copy, it doesn't matter about that. But just put it out there because <clears throat> I think that there's, there's some inspiration still left in that for other people. And I don't think there's a better way to leave a legacy than leaving a book behind or, or something that's documented that people can kind of pick up over the course of time and, and hopefully find some type of inspiration from it, whether it's a sentence, whether it's a paragraph, whether it's a chapter, whether it's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah and that's really one reason why we want to do this podcast is because I think we have a, a real interest in just the type of journalism that is simply chronicling stuff that happened and getting it down and getting the stories and getting them accurate and finding out who was where. And I think there are maybe some periods of time that we've lived through that have missed out on a bit of that and they they kind of need some yeah, deep diving now. So Thank yeah. you a lot, man. Greatly, genuinely appreciate it because I think it's um, it's an honour to ever, to, to, for anybody to ever share their story has got to be nothing but nothing short of an honour, right? Because you know and unless you're that egotistical where it's kind of like yeah of course i should be sharing my story and i should be taught sharing my story every day but i haven't bought a new microphone and everything for this you know oh. <laughs> well you know what you can make use of it come the audio book oh yes they send it back to amazon because they, they've, they've got a, a money back return thing but i think i might keep oh, it it's okay that is wise that is wise keep it as well